Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. This is Pastor Winfred Burns, and you are live with the Word on Wednesday. Once again, as we come to you tonight, we come blessing God and thanking him for you. Uh, We also come tonight to handle the business of the Lord. And the business of the Lord is to teach his word. And so tonight we will continue in our journey on Acts. Um, This is a a rather difficult um, portion of Acts that we go through right now because it examines Paul's persecution. Last week we, we talked about Paul being called to persecution. The Holy Spirit led him to this place, Jerusalem, to be imprisoned and to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And this is a rather foreign concept to us in America because we have got a, gotten a hold of a damnable doctrine that basically said, says that if you are suffering, then something is wrong with your relationship with Christ. And nothing can be farther from the truth. Uh, Jesus himself says, if they persecuted me, what do you think they're going to do to you? Jesus says, if you suffer with me, that that you'll reign with me. Jesus forewarns us of the persecution that is inherent in walking with him. And so, but today, there is a doctrine that's being preached that says that the only time things are going good with you is when God is blessing you. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And we need to get back in our word and get grounded in the word of God so we can understand when somebody is selling us fool's gold. And just one last thing before I pray, because I'm, I want to get, get on to the word tonight. If the only time God is pleased with us is when he's blessing us, then we're in bad shape. Because a lot of us, a lot of the saints of God are, that are in the church, that are tithing, that are doing all the things that you are supposed to do are not doing well. They're being attacked in their bodies. They're being attacked on their jobs. Their finances are being attacked. Their homes are being attacked. Do you mean to tell me that all of these people, all of these tithing, prayer meeting going, worshiping people, witnessing people, that they're doing something wrong? Okay, let's divorce America. Do you mean to tell me that the Christians over in Armenia or the Christians over in Russia or the Christians in China who are being persecuted on a daily basis, that God doesn't love them? Something is wrong with your doctrine. And I I say it sternly because I am trying to, to shake some things up. I'm trying to shake us away from 
the damnable doctrine of the devil and bring us back into sincere truth of God. And I'm not saying to anybody that God's not blessing us. Yes, he is. I'm not saying to anyone that God does not want to to see us prosper financially or, or physically. No, no, no. But what I am saying is that that sometimes we are called to be persecuted. Sometimes we are called to suffer. Sometimes we are called to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Listen, I'm done. I've got a neighbor right next door to me. And a couple of weeks ago, he and I was in a conversation because Richard is elderly. His wife is suffering from Alzheimer's in the most terrible way. And Richard came across the lawn, and he began to ask me some questions. Uh, he is a devout, a devout Christian. And he asked me a question that under normal circumstances I would not have been able to answer. He said, why me? He said, why Joan? That's his wife. And I, I want you to lift Richard and Joan up in prayer. But he asked why. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to speak through me. I know it was the Holy Spirit because I never thought about this. I never, um, I never, I, I never even considered this answer before. But I told I, the Holy Spirit led me to say, Richard, you are not suffering for Richard. Richard, you're suffering for me. And he looked at me and he said, what do you mean? I said, God has ordained this suffering in your life for me. Richard, what you're showing me is how to go through. You're showing me how to, to love a woman, even when she doesn't even know that you're there, she doesn't, that her mind doesn't work anymore, that she can no longer comfort you, that she can no longer have conversations with you, that even while she's lashing out at you and, and having the, those fits, those mean fits that sometimes Alzheimer's patients have, scratching him and doing and saying all manner of things to him. She doesn't even know what she's saying. But there he stands in his mid-80s, and he stands there lovingly beside her. I said, Richard, what you're doing right now, the suffering, is to show me how to live, to show me how to love. Richard, God is using you to testify to me, to strengthen me, so when it's my turn to go through, if I have to go through, I have an example of a Christian man who has taught me how to go through. And so, so when I said that to him, it, it, it's so profound. And then I was able to look back at Paul, and I was able to look back at the saints of old and see how they went through and how their going through helps us go through. And I got to say this to you, saints of God. When God calls us to suffer, to suffer for righteousness' sake, he also allows us to rejoice. So let's have a word of prayer and let's get at it. I just I just wanted to share that with you concerning suffering and persecution because 
we got it all wrong. We we think that suffering and persecution is for just for when you're doing something bad. No. No, God calls us to suffer for righteousness sake. God calls us to suffer to advance the gospel. And we've seen that throughout Acts. But okay, anyway. So let's have our word of prayer and then we'll get right at it. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We thank you tonight for your word. We pray that you would lead us and guide us, that you would teach us, that you would confirm your word in our hearts tonight, and that more than anything else, God, that, that we would hide it in our hearts, that we might not sin against you. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, good evening, by the way. Um, I want to go to Acts 21.7, and we will pick up about right there. Now, the one thing that I, the second, last week when, we were, when I was teaching, I said I wanted to go through this purification, uh, what, what he was doing with this vow, because we picked up that Paul had taken this vow, and now uh, he's paying his vow. And very, very quickly, I will tell you that the vow is the Nazarite vow. And the, the, the Nazarite vow is basically a vow of separation. Uh, if you look at Numbers, even, even before we read, go over to Numbers chapter 6, I believe it is. Go to number 6 real quick. Because I want to finish this chapter tonight. Um, numbers chapter 6, verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke, spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice or, of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head, until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his head, of hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body not even for his father or for his mother, for brother or sister. If they die, shall he make himself unclean, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. And if any man dies very suddenly besides him, and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall save it. On the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two pigeons to the priest's to the interest of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned by reason of the dead body. And he shall consecrate his head that same day and separate himself to the Lord for the days of his separation and bring a male lamb, a year old, for a guilt offering. But the previous period shall be void because his separation was defiled. And this is the law for the Nazarite when the time of his separation has been completed. He shall be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and he shall bring his gift to the Lord, one male lamb, a year old, without blemish, for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a sin offering. 
and one ram without blemish as a peace offering, and a basket of unleavened bread, loaves of fine flour mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and their grain offering and their drink offering. And the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall also shall offer also its grain offering and its drink offering. And the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire that is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the shoulder of the ram when it is boiled and one unleavened loaf out of the basket and one unleavened wafer and shall put them on the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved the hair of his consecration and the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. They are a holy portion for the priest together with the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed. And after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite. But if he vows an offering to the Lord above his Nazarite vow, as he can afford, in exact accordance with the vow that he takes, then he shall do in addition to the law of the Nazarite. Now, why do I bother to read all of that? Because this is what's happening in this chapter. Paul has taken the vow of a Nazarite and... He is going into the temple at the suggestion of the elders to show that he practices the law. There is a charge that has been made against him that basically says he teaches others not to observe the law. And by doing this special vow, Paul and the elders hope to show those that are around them that no, he observes the law. And then not only do they want to do that, but they want to advance the, the fact that they have said that the Gentiles should not be forced to observe this law. So this is what's going on in the background. The Nazarite vow is a vow of separation. And what does it say? He has separated unto me as holy. Remember Samson? Excuse me for a second. Remember Samson? Samson is, uh, has taken a Nazarite vow, and he is to live that way without wine. He is supposed to be holy unto the Lord in the Lord's service. Now, Paul has taken this vow while he was on his missionary journey. While Paul was on that journey, Paul had taken this vow and said, I am available for God to use me. And now he has completed the journey. He's completing his vows. And now we can pick up at verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia Seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trometheus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up. 
and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. I want to, I want to stop there for a second. Okay, I want to stop there for a second. Now, Paul is in the temple, and you have to understand that in the temple there are several courts. There's the outer court, which is considered the court of the Gentiles. And then there is the court for the women. And then there is the court for the men. And then there is the court for the priest. Uh, called the, uh, and then there is the holy place. And then there is the holy of holies. So there's five courts. Now, the Gentiles could enter into the court of the Gentiles. But before they got to the court of the women, there was a sign posted there that said that anybody that passed that, that point and passed into the court of the women uh, and who were not Jews were subject to death. So if a non-Jewish person went, into, went beyond the court of the Gentiles, it was lawful to kill them. You see, so, and what they said here is that Paul has brought a non-Gentile into the temple, and it was lawful for them to kill that non-Gentile and also Paul who had brought him in there. And so this, again, it's, it's, it's and I take, I'm taking my time to, to give you the background so you can understand everything that is going on. You see, uh, recently, and, and why do you do this? Because the Old Testament, the Old Testament is going to inform us of, of the new. And then there are his, historical facts concerning this that help us understand what was happening at this time. And these are important things, especially since now we have a big-name preacher that says um, that we should do away with the Old Testament and just concentrate only on the New. Silly man. Oh, silly man. You are so, so in error. How will we understand the New Testament if we don't have the Old? And oh, by the way, most, a major portion of the New Testament is nothing but quotes of the Old. So, Basically, what you're saying when you say do away with the Old Testament is do away with the Bible. Mm, mm, mm. Heaven and earth shall pass away before one jot or tittle shall not be fulfilled. Remember that when you're you know, getting so heady with yourself and, and thinking that you know everything and going to pronounce we're going to take the word out of the hands of the people. Shame on you. Okay, I was at verse 31. Let me go to 30. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and, 
as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. What's going on here? Now, sitting right next door to the temple was a palace that housed the, the tribune and the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers kept good watch over Jerusalem because the Jews would buck up and start something in a minute, and Rome was having none of it. And when they hear this disturbance, they immediately come downstairs to put this thing down because they don't want any problem. They see Paul getting beaten. They go in. They, find, they try to find out what's going on. They get him out of there before they can kill him. That's, that's the essence of what's happened here. Keep going. Verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Now, did you see the setup? Did you see the setup? Remember, a couple things you need to remember. First of all, this is during a period that either, that precedes Pentecost. It's right around the time of Pentecost. Remember a couple weeks ago we said that Paul, the, the word told us that Paul was in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. Remember that? So the Jews from Asia are there. Pick that point up real quick. The Jews from Asia, the same Jews that have chased him all over Greece and Turkey, everywhere. They have been trying to run Paul down and destroy his ministry. And no matter how hard they try, they can't stop Paul. And now Paul has an even larger audience. What are we saying here? What I'm saying to you is that persecution will often place the word of God into an even greater realm will place you in a position where the word can go forward in an even more powerful and pronounced way to an even larger audience. You know, every time Satan thinks that he is going to stop the word through persecution, what happens? The word advances even further. When they crucified Jesus on the cross, the word continued to advance. When they, when they chased the disciples 
out of Jerusalem. What happened? The word spread all over the known world because the disciples, in fleeing from persecution in Jerusalem, took the word to Samaria, to, to the land of the Philistines, up through, the, through Syria, all the way over in Asia, to Greece. The word is being spread because of persecution. Oh, wow. Persecution has a purpose. Persecution will cause us to do things and place us in positions that we were never in before. And the position that it most often places us in is a position that where the will of God and the power of God can flow through us and be spread to all mankind. Isn't that something? You see, so so don't despise when God places you in a position of persecution. No, don't do that. But instead, even when you know that this is getting ready to happen, give God the glory by being obedient. Trust God to take you into that fiery furnace. And should he so choose, if it be his will, to bring you out. But sometimes you got to say it like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even if the Lord doesn't, he's still God anyway. He's still God in the midst of our suffering. And we don't suffer alone because he's with us. Let me get, ooh, I'm coming to it. You know what? I'm going I'm to do just a little bit more. I got the time. I got the time. Chapter 22. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And I think I can go through this pretty good because you know what he's getting ready to do? He's getting ready to share the gospel. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, 
What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he shall not be allowed to live. For he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion, who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I brought this citizenship for a great sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priest and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him, and set him before them. Now, I'm, I'm, about five, I'm, I'm about five minutes over. Okay, but I, I can finish this chapter real quick. One, so Paul begins to give his testimony of his encounter with Jesus. Notice that we've seen this encounter before, that this is Paul on the Damascus Road, that in this encounter, what Paul does is he, he says, look, what has happened to me was not done in a vacuum. Who I was before I encountered Jesus, the high priest 
and all of you can attest to this. What happened to me can be verified by those who traveled with me to Damascus. You know that Ananias is a devout man. He's well-respected. Ask Ananias. He will bear witness as to what happened to me. So Paul is basically giving his testimony, and he draws in all of the witnesses that, 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 that can verify what is going on. And now, because what's going on is that there are some who believe in Jesus, but many of them don't believe. And the breaking point comes when he says that Jesus, this gospel, that Jesus has sent me to include the Gentiles into the kingdom. I got to stop there. Got to stop there. Why is this so offensive? Why is it so offensive? Because the Jews hate the Gentiles, and they think of them as dogs, and they they will only accept them if they come according to the law. And here is here is Paul saying that Jesus died for them, and by grace they can be saved, not the law. And so once again. The law is being is going to be the sticking point. Okay, that's all. That's all. I'm seven thirty-three. I only went three minutes over. Uh, if you have any questions tonight, while I'm getting ready to play, pray, um, you can po- post them on, um, on 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 YouTube, and I'll I'll get them. Or if you are on the Global Drive Network, you can call me at nine two nine four seven seven. Two three zero four nine two nine four seven seven two three zero four. Just to summarize uh, what we've what we're going through right now, we're seeing persecution advance the gospel. That God calls us sometimes to be persecuted to advance the gospel. That Paul that God calls some of us to be persecuted to show others how to go through. Just one last story. Uh, I'm, from time to time, I have to go to the hospital to visit uh, people who are about to transition. It's not something that I like to do. Um, but I'm always blessed by it. Um, recently, I've been resisting going. And the reason why I resist is because, you know, I told the Lord, Lord, it seemed like you made me a prophet of death. Every time I go to that hospital and I anoint somebody and I lay hands on them and I pray for them, they die. And I don't like that. And as I think back to it, those people have showed me not only how sweet it is in passing, they showed me how to pass. They showed me what is, you know, and it's been some of the most blessed times that I've spent on this earth as I watch saints transition, the things that they go through. Sometimes it's somebody that's transitioning from cancer. Cancer's ate them up. And I watch how they struggle valiantly. And then 
as they go into a, a state of peace where they kind of just looking up and they see something that no one else sees. And how sometimes even in all of that pain, there is this peaceful almost smile as they take their last breaths. That's something. That is something. Um, I can't explain that you, it's a privilege. But anyway, let's, uh, let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come. God, we're in a section of Acts that, that gives you glory. Paul didn't want to be beat, didn't want to go through all that he went through. But he did it because he had separated himself and he was holy unto you. God, tonight, it's not something that we would order for ourselves. But if you order it for us, Father, then give us the strength to stand through it, to go through it. Father, give us the courage not to deny you, not to see what's coming and, and just say we don't know you, not to compromise ourselves with the world and take the easy way out. God, when we get to those crossroads where we see your way, the straight and the narrow, the way of loneliness versus the way of the world, the way of the crowd, the way of laughter and party and ha, 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 and it's your thing, do what you want to do. God, let us choose your way. Strengthen our faith. God, we bless you today. God, when we get to that nevertheless moment, teach us to surrender to your will and your way. Help us to say yes and still say yes. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you uh, for being with us tonight. Um, we'll pick up in Chapter 23 next week. We're getting there. Um, I pray that you've had a blessed evening. I thank you for being with us tonight, and we pray that God would strengthen you and strengthen your walk with him through attending these Bible studies. Why don't you, after, you, after we're done, why don't you share this with somebody and, and help us advance the gospel and the teachings of the gospel. We bless you. We thank God for you. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening.